And, uh, and so today we want to take a look at the uh, 12th chapter of uh, the book of uh, Daniel. And really, uh, as we uh, have been saying, Daniel chapters 10, 11, and 12 are like a unit, okay? Chapter 10 introduces the, uh, this major uh, uh, prophecy, and then in chapter 11, we have a very specific uh, prophetic statement about what was to take place uh, after the time of Daniel. And you have very specifically prophecies about Alexander the Great and his untimely demise uh, and about the uh, Syrian uh, Empire, uh, also known as the Greco-Syrian Empire, and the Ptolemies down in Egypt, and the varieties of battles and relationships that they had with you know, Israel right in the middle. Uh, and the, the text is very clear about the fourth uh, king of the Seleucids, the fourth king in Syria, uh, otherwise known as Antiochus, Antiochus, sometimes he's called. And we read again in chapter 8 and then also in chapter 11, about uh, this uh, period of time uh, where the temple of Jerusalem uh, was desecrated and, uh, and the persecution of the Jewish people for about three and a half years, and then the, um, uh, the, re, the recapturing of the temple and the cleansing. That's Hanukkah. That's the story of, of, of Hanukkah. But in the text in Daniel, it's told in such a way that, wow, we can see that Everything God says comes to pass, and his hand is, is uh, on uh, the events. We do not understand the why of all the events, but what we do know is that in the end, uh, God is the victor. And even all the way through, uh, those who uh, identify themselves with the God of Israel, and then in of course, when the Messiah came, identify themselves with the Messiah of Israel, are indeed victorious uh, in, uh, in, in looking at the, you know, the ultimate future of, of, uh, of resurrection and therefore being able to endure what, what, comes our way, uh, what comes our way today. So in chapter 11, we read about you know, uh, Antiochus, Epiphanes, and we read about the desecration of the temple. And, and then uh, what we read is at the end of chapter 11 is that Antiochus becomes like this um, type of a person at the end of time. And that situation is like a type or a picture of what will take place at the end of time. Uh, and we read about that at the end of chapter 11, which we looked at uh, a couple of, of uh, weeks ago. Now, in chapter 12, though, this is, this is the part of the story that we really want to hear, okay? Uh, because it says at the beginning of chapter 12, now at that time, and at that time is not looking back to the time of uh, Antiochus, but looking forward to the time of the end, all right? Now it says, Now at that time, Michael, the great prince, who stands guard over the sons of your people, and we've read about him already, right? The great protector of Israel, 
will arise, and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. So uh, that is an ominous sign, right? That uh, there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation. Well, that's a pretty uh, tall order since there have been some very uh, terrible times in the history of the Jewish people. Certainly, uh, the time depicted in Daniel 11 is a terrible time, but the text is telling us that another time is coming in which this will pale in comparison. Yet in the text, we see as a model is this uh, Antiochus Epiphanes. But a time is coming uh, such as never occurred. And of course, boy, living in the uh, 21st century, we have 2,000 years of additional Jewish history to deal with. Uh, you know, you have uh, the Roman, not only occupation, but the Roman destruction of the temple and of the Jewish people and the diaspora. You know that whole story. And then throughout history, we don't have time to uh, tell about all of the woes of the Jewish people over uh, 2,000 years of varieties of inquisitions expulsions, persecutions, murders, uh, uh, extermination attempts. Uh, in the uh, 20th century, which is amazing when you think about it, uh, the most uh, dastardly persecution of the Jewish people in all of history took place. That's amazing to think that in the sophisticated 20th century, in quote-unquote Christian Europe, that happened, you know, uh, because in that day, you know, in the 1930s and 40s, the thought was that could not happen. That simply could not happen. Yet it did. And so it should not surprise us then to see there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation. You know, it's interesting in the little Jarash I sent out uh, this week, at the beginning, I said something to the effect of, we're living in a violent world, but we've lived in a violent world all the time. When has the world not been violent? You know? I, you know, as I was writing that, I thought to myself, I remember, although I was like in junior high, well, in, in like elementary school and junior high period, I, you know, 1968, for example. That was a horrible year. You know, one month, uh, Robert Kennedy, who's running for president, is assassinated. Weeks later, Martin Luther King is assassinated. In the summer, you have everything fall apart in Chicago at the Democratic uh, National Convention. And in the middle of all that, all of the anti-war uh, stuff going on. And uh, even at that age, I can remember walking to school. You know how you have like pictures of... I can remember walking to school thinking, having this sense of um, fear, like even at that age, like things are like falling apart. What, you know, what, what can you hang your hat on? What can you, what can you trust? So yes, we see uh, violence today, different, you know, a, a different people, like a, a different cast of characters, uh, different situations, but this world is, uh, you know, knows violence. Uh, and it goes all the way back 
to uh, the third chapter of the Bible uh, in Genesis when man sinned, and the next thing we read is a brother murders a, one brother murders another brother. So uh, this is not new. This epitomizes what we're seeing in our world today. Epitomizes the sorry condition of this world. So when you think about all of the horrific things that have happened, you know, even in your own lifetime, or in your parents' lifetime, or maybe grandparents' lifetime, to read that there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time, that's scary, right? So one of the things it tells us is violence, you know, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but violence isn't going away. It's not going away, you know? And it doesn't really matter who the president of the United States is. It doesn't really matter who's, you know, uh, uh, the, the president of this country or the, it, you know, uh, uh, one thing that is a great equalizer in this world is that there are unspeakable acts of violence continually. Now, maybe that's not what we want to hear, but the reason I say that is, is because you see what Daniel, what the book of Daniel is trying to say to us in, in every single chapter as we come sort of toward a close, is that our hope is not in, the, in world events and in world leaders. It's, that's not where our hope is. When you read chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, think of every single chapter in this book. Remember what I said weeks and weeks, maybe months ago, uh, that when you get to the seventh chapter, you have to understand that the first six chapters are basically saying the same things, but by telling stories in story form. We have the fact that, that uh, even though Nebuchadnezzar is a great king and, you know, and the leader of this uh, empire, he doesn't hold a candle to the God of Daniel. See? And Daniel was not afraid of Nebuchadnezzar. And we see great miracles take place. And then when you come to the 7th chapter, and the 8th and the ninth chapter, and the 10th and the 11th chapter, we see empire after empire after empire, evil, evil empires, and they do their thing. And at the end, it is the empire of God, the kingdom of God, that overcomes them all. We need to get that. Uh, we really do need to get that, and we need to find our hope in the Scriptures. Uh, because you will always be disappointed on some level in world leaders and world events. And something that we uh, try to hold to here and preach from time to time is that we must be very careful not to amalgamate politics and our faith. That is, that is a recipe of disaster. You go back and you read world history over the last 50 years. <laughs> I mean, keep going and you'll keep reading it. But my point is you don't have to go too far back to see what happens when you amalgamate, when you put together uh, uh, politics and faith. You see, as a Jewish person, I will say that that is very, very scary. You know, uh, a few uh, years ago, maybe two or three years ago, 
I attended a particular meeting uh, where um, you had, it was sort of like, uh, sort of a, um, a political religious rally. I'll just call it that. A political religious, I went because someone invited me to go, and so I went. And uh, a very well-meaning uh, Christian person got up and talked about and used the first-person plural to describe being tolerant about all groups. We, and what this person, the context was, we, we Christians, is what she was saying, we Christians. We Christians are very tolerant and allow all kinds of people to live in the United States. Now, sitting there as a Jewish person, I find that very, very uh, distressing. Very distressing. Uh, because I, I, uh, when you hear words like that, what you're really saying is, uh, is that, you know, uh, if you don't measure up to where we're at, you better be careful. We don't realize that. You know, uh, we don't realize that when, when we amalgamate uh, faith and politics, because you end up somewhere along the line, it goes awry. And somewhere along the line, justice and mercy get uh, twisted up and, uh, you know, and we try to force, so to speak, the kingdom of God into our political, uh, into the political world in which we live. Think about church history. Just think about church, read about church history. It's a sorry story, you know, it's a sorry story. And so we need to be very careful and recognize what Daniel, what the book of Daniel is trying to teach us. That what, when we see great acts of violence in our world, what it should do is remind us where our hope lies. Our hope lies in God. In God. And in the future that he has made uh, uh, for us. And in the meantime... What we try to do is demonstrate that kind of life so that people, all kinds of people, will say, I want to be part of that and be delivered from, you know, the, uh, the worldview uh, and be delivered, you know, from, from sin and be empowered to live a uh, godly life and have that same destiny, see? And so it's very interesting that when you read about the life of Daniel, you know, Daniel did not save the Babylonian world, nor did he save the Jewish world from problems of persecution. What's also quite interesting is that Yeshua himself, I mean, think about it. When Yeshua died and rose from the dead, yes, we know theologically what happened, but on the ground... People were still getting killed, and within 40 years after his resurrection, there was the destruction of the temple. You had massacres of people. Uh, you had the diaspora that, last, that has lasted 2,000 years, and that even continues to this day. And even as a result, even after the resurrection of Yeshua, you have events going on today. And people uh, wonder, well, if he's the Messiah and he rose from the dead, what difference does it make in our world? You see? Well, 
as long as the world continues to reject the, on the ground, we could say, of course, it's all the hand of God and, and there's many layers of understanding, but the most basic thing that we see is that as people reject God, so violence continues, rebellion continues, as people reject the Lord, you know? He is indeed the answer. And that's why in a community of faith, uh, as believers in Messiah, that uh, there should never be, in a, in a community of believers, there should never be any enmity. There should never be uh, bigotry. There should never be, uh, you know, any kind of uh, hostility. That's what we read about in Ephesians chapter 2. Why? Because this is a microcosm of that, of that future. And so that no matter what this world throws at us, no matter what disappointments we may have, we know that there is a place in which I can find solace and support and acceptance, you know, and all those kinds of things, uh, you know, in, in a community of faith. And as we relate uh, to God in that, we find satisfaction in our lives despite the, circumstance, despite the circumstances of this world. And that's why someone like Jacob in last week's Torah portion, it could be said of him that he struggled with man and God and he prevailed. He prevailed. He was an overcomer. His life was horrible. <laughs> you know, I mean, think about that. Very soon after he prevailed, his daughter was sexually assaulted and two of his sons seek revenge and end up forfeiting generations of blessing. And then the next thing you know, the son of his beloved wife, he thinks, is dead for many years. And then when, he's, when they're all reunited, they're in Egypt. So, you know, and that's where he dies. So, you know, yes, he prevailed, yet uh, the, the, under the sun, under the sun, his life did not look that much different. But you see, he was really living above the clouds. And that is where he indeed prevailed. And so Daniel, and so us. So in chapter 12, yes, there will be a time of distress such as never has occurred before there was a nation until that time. In other parts of the Bible, it's called the tribulation. It's called the time of Jacob's trouble in several places. Okay? All right. Uh, and uh, Yeshua talks about that period of time in Matthew chapter 24. Okay? Uh, so if we're thinking that progress and technology and varieties of world leaders are going to get us out of a mess, that's not what the Bible teaches. It's not what Yeshua taught. It's not what's in the Bible. Yes, there will be a time of distress. So I can't help but continue to harp on that. And for us to then say, okay... You know, I, I, you know, does somebody know, I don't remember the last part. I really wish I remembered this little uh, hymn that I did not grow up learning, but some of you did. So don't sing it, but just finish the sentence for me. It says, my hope is built on nothing less. What is it? We say Yeshua here at Beth Messiah, if you don't know that. Okay, what is it? Okay, Yeshua's blood and righteousness. I only know another version of that which has to do with scripture press. But anyway, I, I, and so that is where our hope is, is in Yeshua, you know? Now, and you know, I don't know. I don't know if I'm preaching to the choir or not because 
Because I'll tell you something, when I read the old FB, I don't see it, (laughs) okay? I don't see it. So I don't know if I'm preaching to the choir or not. So I hope we get it, you know? Okay, very good. All right, so now, having having, uh, really uh, paid attention to that bad news, all right, it says... And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. All right. Uh, found written in the book will be rescued. You know, there's a number of different places where we read about uh, the book. You can look it up. And in all of those uh, varieties uh, of uh, those varieties of places, that they're, they're evidently... Now, I wouldn't say, uh, you know, this is actually a, a written book with many volumes in the library in heaven. But what I would suggest is, is what all those passages tell us is that God knows the names of those who belong to him. God knows the names of all who belong to him. There's no bureaucratic errors in the kingdom of God. There's no like, well, I'm from another country and my name is spelled wrong, so I'm not on the list here. All right, that 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 doesn't exist uh, uh, in in these books, right? Uh, there's uh, no uh, uh, mistakes whatsoever. All right, uh, and so God knows the names of all who trust in Him, in every age and in every circumstance. He knows the names of all who trust in him. Okay? You know, there's a passage in um, the Gospel of Matthew when Yeshua was uh, giving his uh, Sermon on the Mount that tells us just how well he knows each person's name. You probably know where it is. We like to refer to it as one of the most scariest passages in the Bible. Uh, Matthew 7, toward the end of the chapter, toward the end of the whole thing, he says, beginning in verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. So you have to understand, he's kind of being sarcastic a little bit when he says that. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and burst against that house. Yet it did, not, uh, it did not fall, for it had been founded upon the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act upon them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and burst against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. The result was that when Yeshua had finished these words, the multitude were amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one having authority and not as one of the scribes. And so he knows who's who. 
He knows those who really have had a, uh, you know, a self, what we just referred to as a salvation experience, uh, receiving the Lord in, into one's life. Not necessarily the one who does this and has done this and does this, but the one who really knows the Lord and lives according to the, the way of the Lord. And so we should take solace in that. When we know the Lord, we should take solace in that. And say that even though, you know, in this world there is tremendous misunderstanding. Tremendous misunderstanding about who, you know, about who Yeshua is. Tremendous misunderstanding about, you know, especially, you know, when you say uh, you are, uh, if you're Jewish, if you say you're a, you're a Messiah, you're, you're a Messianic Jew, oh, is there a misunderstanding in that? If you uh, are not Jewish and you come to a Messianic Jewish congregation, Oi, is there a misunderstanding in that? Oi, what do you do? Now you're Jewish? You're not Jewish? What? Right? Misunderstanding everywhere. There's great, in the public square, misunderstanding of what it means to be a believer. And sometimes it feels like you're always at the bottom of the mountain. But the wonderful thing is, there will be no misunderstanding when we stand before God. And at the end, there'll be no misunderstanding of who's who. Okay? So, Everyone who's found written in the book will be rescued. And many of those who sleep in the dust, that of course means who die, right? Who've died. Uh, many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. This is the clearest spot in the entire Hebrew scriptures. The clearest. There's other places. But the clearest place that talks about the resurrection of the, of the dead at the end. The resurrection of the righteous, the resurrection of everybody. And so here, what Daniel is learning is that death will not, death and destruction and violence will not defeat those who love the Lord, those who embrace the Lord. I think of that passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you know, uh, where is the sting of death? In Yeshua, yes, we die, but there is no sting of death, so to speak. Because we know that when we embrace him, we have life forever in him. And yes, as we'll see when we come to the very last verse, uh, we may die, but that is not the end of the story. That there will indeed be a resurrection. Now, the good news is there will indeed be a resurrection uh, of, the, of the righteous, those who know the Lord, those whose sins are taken away, those whose sins have been removed. The only righteousness that there is is in Messiah Yeshua. So there's an assurance there. However, but others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. This is why we read passages. Are there other places that speak of this but use different words? Like, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. We don't have to worry that people will be let off the hook eternally. That, again, God knows the intentions. He knows the heart of every human being. And so what he's saying to Daniel is, there will be judgment. There will be retribution. There will be the vengeance of God. Now, in our world, we need to remember that because from the Torah to the prophets to the writings to the gospels to the letters, 
one of the things that we learn is that we are not called to get revenge. We are not called to get revenge. We are not called to take it into our own hands out of, uh, out of hatred, out of anger, and out of fear to wreak havoc and destruction in order to get back for what has taken place. You know, uh, uh, two, uh, two Shabbat days ago, uh, I uh, had lunch with our teens and middle schoolers. And that was very interesting. So that time, the, uh, the big news was what had taken place in Paris. Okay? So I asked them about it. <laughs> you know, what do you think about all What do you think about that? And what do you think ought to happen? You know, and... Uh, and so uh, we got into this uh, conversation about the difference between revenge and justice. And uh, that was really very good. It was, it was very helpful. You know, the Bible is all about justice, but not about revenge. Uh, the Bible is all about due process and restraint, but not about getting them back. In fact, there are some uh, pretty specific places in the Bible in the New Covenant, uh, that talk about this, you know? Uh, one of them is in Matthew, again in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 5. And this is, uh, the reason I bring this up is, we'll talk about more about this in our Torah study today, uh, because, boy, it just seems that revenge is a big theme in the book of Genesis. Hatred and revenge. Averted, condemned, but present. So uh, just to save a little time, I won't read the whole thing. Uh, but in verse 43 of uh, Matthew 5, Yeshua says, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax gatherers do the same? I mean, that's a pretty low bar. And if you greet your brothers only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the, and here Gentiles means pagans in this context. Do not even the pagans do the same? You're to be, have the same character as your father in heaven. Okay, then, you know, Paul takes off on this in Romans chapter 12. In Romans chapter 12, where he says, this. It's at the end of the chapter. He says uh, here, whoops, oh there we are. No, he doesn't say whoops. Uh, he says in verse 17 of chapter 12, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people, all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. And in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but, be over, but overcome evil with good. And, uh, and you know, that's pretty, that's pretty radical. That's pretty radical. It's a radical way to think and a radical way to live. Yes, uh, or no, it doesn't mean that, does that mean you let everything go? No, the Bible's all about due process and righteous uh, uh, justice, 
but not acting out of revenge. And it's very, very important. And there's a very, very uh, important big difference. And we need to take solace in this passage in Daniel in relationship to that, that God will take care of business. Believe me. And so uh, no one gets away with anything. Okay? Uh, and just and, and by the very same token, believers in Messiah may be persecuted, may be killed, but that's also remembered. And there is a resurrection unto life forever. And may I suggest, that is why you can have such a, a, a person who believes in the Lord and knows that there is a resurrection, uh, that life is more than, um, than this world. So, the passage goes on. And those who have insight will shine brightly, like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. And those who lead the many righteous, like the stars forever and ever. Again, embellishing that thought of this resurrection and burning brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven, gloriously, gloriously. But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time. Many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. See, now that could mean a, a variety of different things. When he says seal up the book until the end of time, it doesn't necessarily mean that hide the book uh, till the end of time. After all, we're reading, we're reading it right here, okay? But the seal could mean that it's preserved. Preserve this to the end of time. We're reading something that was written thousands of years ago that pertains, still pertains to the world in which we live, and we're reading it now, okay? The seal could mean preserved, but yet not completely fulfilled, okay? Because you do read at the end of the book of Revelation, unseal the book, unseal the book. So that's very interesting. Here it says seal the book, and in Revelation it says unseal the book, see? Uh, and, uh, and that's where that, that distress, like that had never been understood before, takes place. And so it's preserved. But what's also interesting is when it says, many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. Some would say that uh, this means that, you know, uh, the word is preserved, and, you know, and knowledge will increase and people will know it. Kind of like, you know, when, when it says in a new covenant, no man will have to teach his brother, saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me, declares the Lord. Maybe. Or maybe what it means is that there will, that knowledge over the years leading up to this, knowledge will indeed increase, but people will still be going back and forth wondering what's going on, even though this word is indeed preserved. And certainly that's very true in our world. Certainly knowledge has increased. There's more knowledge available to you, you know, today than ever, ever, ever before. Yet we still come to all kinds of wrong conclusions about what's going on in the world. Yet at the very same time, the word is indeed preserved. And indeed, here it is. If only people would read it and have the understanding that God provides in the Ruach HaKodesh, the Spirit of God. Now, that's really, in a sense, the end. Now we have this, these last words that are uh, said to uh, Daniel. So in a way, in verse 4, it says, 
Conceal these words and seal them up in the book until the end time. Okay? Uh, and, and so the words are there. And in a sense, they're concealed in the, in, in, in the scriptures. Uh, however, uh, uh, it is available to us when we come and, and with uh, believing eyes. And it's going to take place. In other words, this is assured, Daniel. This will take place. Now you have Daniel's testimony at the end. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others were standing, one on this bank of the river and the other one uh, on the other bank of the river, and the other on that bank of the river. And one said to the man dressed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, how long will it be until the end of these wonders? So Daniel is, tell, is saying, I, I saw these two beings, maybe two angels. They're not named. Uh, how long will it be? until the end of these one. In other words, how long is it going to be? Just like, boy, you know, don't, don't we read that in the Psalms and in Habakkuk and elsewhere? How long, O oh Lord? When are you going to take care of business? When are you going to defeat the enemy? Oh, I think of Habakkuk all the time when I think of that. How long, O oh Lord, he says. And I heard the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river as he raised his right hand and his left toward heaven. It, almost like... Uh, you know, I'm going to tell the truth, but I'm really going to tell the truth, you know? Uh, and so it says, and swore by him who lives forever, right, the Lord, that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And as soon as they finish shattering the power of the holy people, all these events will be completed. So we read about that time, time, and half a time in chapter 7, and again, in, I believe in chapter 8. And the, the point there is, that uh, it stands for that period of time, especially in chapter 8, I believe, uh, it stands for that period of time of the desecration of the temple as a type or a picture of the future, right? And so it's speaking here of uh, the end of that period of time. One might say uh, the last three and a half years of that last period of time, of that tribulation period, but, it, and, but it, it's clarified by as soon as they finish shattering the power of the holy people. Well, you know, uh, in uh, 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 a, a book like uh, Zechariah, you know, in the 12th chapter, it's going to seem like all is lost eventually. In that horrible distress, in that horrible period of time, it's going to seem... Like all is lost. Uh, when you read here um, uh, in um, chapter uh, Zechariah 12, I guess verse 10, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication, so that they will look upon me whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son, and they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. And so when all is lost, then there will be this understanding that Yeshua really is the Messiah. And there really will be this ultimate deliverance, as it's described there. But here, it's quite clear, if, uh, if the uh, phrase, a time, time, and half a time is ambiguous, it's not so ambiguous when it says, and, uh, and as soon as they finish shattering the power of the holy people, all these events will be completed. 
It will seem like all is lost, but then there will be the deliverance. As for me, I heard but could not understand. So I said, my Lord, what will be the outcome of these events? In other words, I still don't quite understand. He said, go your way, Daniel, for these words are concealed and sealed up until the end of time, till the end time. Many will be purged, purified and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly and none of the wicked will understand, but those who have insight will understand. So here, I mean, the wicked will act wickedly and none of the wicked will understand, but those who have insight indeed will. And from the time of the regular sacrifice is abolished, and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. How blessed is he who keeps waiting and attains to the 1,335 days. Okay, so he ties this to that end, the abomination of desolation. He ties it to the desecration of the temple. He ties it to the beast and to the, everything that's going to happen. And then you have these numbers. And you know what is really fascinating about these numbers? Nobody knows exactly what they mean. I mean, I've seen all kinds. There's, there's the correction theory, you know, that it really wasn't 1,290. It was actually 1,335 days. And then there's the extra month because you have to bury people. You know, this is a great passage to remember that only the Father in heaven knows the time, you know, and that's very important. And maybe, maybe it's ambiguous just to be a really big number, you know, and to be a different number, to, to even be ambiguous so that we don't really understand. And like Daniel, in a way, we don't exactly understand. But we know what happens at the end. But now here is indeed the punchline. Here it is. When all is said and done, when Daniel, he's an old man now, He's an old man, and he's had all these experiences and all these victories, and, and, but, but he sees the storm clouds coming, and it doesn't seem to be ending. Was I wrong? What's going to happen? When is going to be the end of the transgression? You know, when will be the end of sin? It doesn't seem like it's coming. But as for you, go your way to the end. Then you will enter into rest. In other words, it says, as for you, Daniel, you will die. You, you will be old and, and you will die. And rise again for your allotted portion at the end of the age. And so he says to Daniel, Daniel, you're not going to see this in your lifetime. You're not going to see the end. You're not going to see this, you know, the, uh, the kingdom of heaven, the son of man descending in the clouds in your lifetime. You're going to die, Daniel. But I recognize that you will be raised from the dead. And that is God's great word to all of us human beings who battle the flesh, who battle, you know, sin versus righteousness. And, and, and we never quite get to that satisfied spot, but we're, we know we know the Lord and we know we love the Lord and we may not see all that we pray for and want and hope in this life, but as for you, go your way to the end. Then you will enter into rest and rise again for your allotted portion at the end of the age. And so as we come to the end of the book of Daniel, may we find the same kind of solace that Daniel finds as he's reported it all to us. May we recognize that there will be 
crazy world leaders. There will be crazy people. There will be empires. There will be evil. It will seem like evil is overcoming good. There will indeed be tragedies, but it is not yet the end. And just as Daniel is sustained through it, and people like Daniel have been sustained through it for years and years and years, so ought we to be as we know the Lord. And so in closing the book of Daniel, may we be able to live as is depicted at the very end of the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, when it says about people uh, who were of great faith, it says, they were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword, they were They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts, mountains, caves, holes in the ground, and all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Right there. Did not receive what was promised. Because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. In other words, they were, so to speak, waiting for, the, for us. <laughs> therefore, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Yeshua, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so if you are here today and you are depressed about what you're seeing on the news, if you are depressed about what you're seeing in your life, if you're depressed about what you see at work or at home, uh, and you're about to throw in the towel, recognize there is the finish line, and you know what? I have seen people crawl to a finish line. I have seen people get a thing in mile 25, like, oh, no, you know? And I've seen people help them get there. And that's what we're here for. We do not throw in the towel. We do not throw in the towel. We say, help me. And we carry each other along. That's what we do because there is indeed a finish line. There is indeed a hope. There is indeed a resurrection. And that is not pie in the sky, and it's not just some theology. It is the truth by which we live uh, and work out our salvation in this world. And so may we move forward in confidence. Yes, dealing with the issues around us, but moving forward in confidence, fixing our eyes on Yeshua, the author and finisher of our faith. Let's pray. Lord uh, God, we thank you for this great book of Daniel. We thank you, Lord, that uh, we do not throw in the towel. Although there may be empire after empire, craziness after craziness, uh, dissatisfaction after dissatisfaction, Lord, we do not throw in the towel because we know you. And we have a great cloud of witnesses who have gone before us as models. Even people who, haven't, who are with us, not just gone before us, but who are with us, Lord. And uh, may we continually move forward, whether it's at a snail's pace or a little quicker. May we continue to move forward, Lord. And may we recognize that you never leave us and you never forsake us.
And that even though the world may throw this and that at us, the world is not worthy of those who know you. And our destiny is not just simply this world, but it's the new heaven and a new earth restored. Lord, we look forward to that day. And we pray in Yeshua's name.